0: Well, good morning. So this week we studied forgiveness and the Apostles Creed just simply says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Now we actually started talking about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about Jesus because you can't talk about Jesus and not talk about the forgiveness of sins because that is what Jesus has done for us. Past, present, and future. When he was on the cross, he took on all of our sin. And so we, as believers in him, who have faith in him, can say, I believe in the forgiveness of sin. We can say that with confidence for ourselves, and we can say that with confidence for our brothers and sisters who also have faith in Jesus. I don't know about you, but I am so grateful to be forgiven. Here's the hard part, though. We are forgiven people who are called to forgive. See, when God did this extraordinary work on the cross, when he helped us be reconciled to him through our faith in him, He then asked us to extend that same kind of forgiveness to those around us. And that's where it gets really hard for me. I am so grateful for my forgiveness. But it is really hard to forgive. There are actually a lot of people that have intersected into my life that I really have struggled to forgive but we are called over and over and over again in the New Testament to be forgiven people who forgive. That's what we are called to do. In fact, when the disciples asked Jesus, hey, how do we pray? He gives them just this short little prayer, and you know it, but I'm going to read it to you. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one it's not a very long prayer is it and two lines of it are devoted to being forgiven And becoming forgivers. I like how the New Living Translation says it. It says it this way And forgive us our sins, as we have also forgiven those who have sinned against us. See, there's something that is so inextricably linked about the fact that we are forgiven and supposed to be forgivers. Forgive us as we forgive. And I don't think we can fully grasp the significance of it, but we do know that God is asking us, because I have done something so extraordinary for you, I want you to turn around and do it for others. A few weeks ago, I got some time with a good friend, and as we were in an extended conversation, I turned to her and I said this question, what's one thing in your life you wish you could change? One thing in your life you wish you could change. And that launched us into telling each other some stories about our lives, of things that we wish were not a part of our story. And do you know the common theme of those stories? Were that they were about people and events that had deeply wounded us. Things that we wish had not come into our lives. They had intruded. We didn't want them there. Moments where we had felt wounded, or betrayed, or abused, or neglected, or just hurt, or rejected. That's your story too, isn't it? If you sat around the table right now and shared with each other what's one thing you wish wasn't true about your life, one thing you wish you could change about your life, you could all come up with stories of how somebody has deeply, deeply wounded you, and you just wish that wasn't true about your life. As I've been praying about this message and thinking about what the Lord has for us this morning, I've been thinking about that question. Because we all have people that have come into our lives and wounded us And we are called, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, to be forgivers of them. And many of them haven't asked for it. Many of them don't deserve it. And many of them haven't changed anything about what they've done to us. And yet we're still called to do this impossible, supernatural, otherworldly thing and forgive. Do you know what the word forgive means? It means to release, to let go of. So as I was thinking about this message, one person came to mind from the Old Testament that I want us to learn from this morning. The man, Joseph. He had so much to forgive. And if we asked him the question this morning, hey, what's one thing in your life you wish you could change? He would give us an earful. But I also think that he would then start to move us through some things that he learned about forgiveness and what it is and what it isn't. And so that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to learn from Joseph and his story. Now, many of you know his story. Um, And so I would ask you just to let it be new to you this morning. And those of you who don't, we're going to journey through and we're going to skip over tons of material because his story is really long. It starts in Genesis 37 and goes all the way to chapter 50. Now, we're not going to go through every verse. And in fact, normally I would tell you to open your Bible. But this morning, I want you just to let the verses come up on the screen as I read them over you because we've got a lot of ground to cover so that we can hear his story and learn from him this morning. So let me give you a little background about Joseph. Joseph was born into a very large and wealthy family. He was one of 12 sons, and that's not counting the daughters in the family. He was 11th in line, so he was one of the very youngest sons. But he was the favorite one. I mean, when I say favorite, I mean like he was the favorite favorite. Like dad had this ornate, beautiful robe made just for him. And he wore it around proudly. He wanted everyone to know, that's my favorite son. Now guess how that went over with his brothers. It caused a little bit of family dysfunction, let's just say that. (laughs) Scripture tells us that when his brothers saw that they, their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. They hated Joseph, and they couldn't speak anything nice to him. Do you know what we call this today? Bullying. <laughs> they punished him. They were brutal to him. They bullied him. Now, I don't know what that did to his soul But we see Joseph act kind of immature, maybe a little overconfident and definitely foolish. So Joseph has a dream, and he decides he'd tell it to his brothers, and they hated him all the more. He said to them, "'Listen to this dream I had. "'We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field "'when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright "'while your sheaves gathered around mine.'" and bowed down to it. Yeah, there's no mistaking what that dream means, right? (laughs) And then he has another dream that is almost exactly like it that says, you will all bow down to me. So they already hate him. Guess how this goes over? Not well. (laughs) They hate him, and scripture tells us that they are jealous of him. So time moves on and, and the story tells us that, um, Joseph's, um, Joseph's dad sends him out into the fields. Um, not him, but his 10 brothers out into the fields to graze their flocks. So they're shepherds and this is what they've got to do. So all the brothers go out with all of the animals. And his dad starts to get a little concerned about his brothers because he hasn't seen them for a while. And so he says, hey, son, can you go out and check on your brothers? They're a few days' journey away. Make sure they're okay, and then I want you to come back and let me know everything's okay. And so he heads out to do this. Now, he's also wearing his really fancy robe with him. So they see him off in the distance. And before he reached them, they plot to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Okay, this is no longer hate and jealousy. This is murderous rage that the brothers are filled with. Let's kill him? Now, his oldest brother, who by all accounts also hates him, still feels some responsibility, his brothers, and so he convinces the brothers, hey, let's not kill him, (laughs) but they don't do anything kind. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there was no water in it, and as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead was coming their way. Okay, they strip him of his robe, throw him into a cistern, which is this big hole in the ground that's obviously taller than him because he can't get out on his own, and then they sit down and have lunch. Can you imagine the conversation that's happening right now? Hey, guys, um, can we just talk about this? Because I'm sure we can work something out. Oh, also, can I have my robe back? Because dad made that for me. Just pass that on down. Hey, what's for lunch up there? Can I at least have some lunch? Can you imagine? They've thrown him into a pit, and they sit down and have a meal. Like, it's no big deal. And this caravan of Ishmaelites come, and they sell him as a slave. They sell him. And he is taken and sold again, and he winds up as a slave in Egypt. Now, he is 17 years old. He is 17 years old and his entire life has just been ripped away from him. He started the day as the beloved, favored son of a wealthy man, and he ended the day abused and neglected and rejected by those closest to him and then sold as a slave. How do you deal with something like that? Well, we're told that Joseph actually worked really hard for his slave owners. And in about 10 years' time, he actually became kind of the house manager for his owner. Now, he is still a slave. He still does what he's told and when he's told to do it. But somehow, he's gotten some kind of authority. Maybe maybe just a little bit of freedom. I don't know. But then a misunderstanding happens. And he is accused of doing something wrong that he absolutely did not do. And because he's a slave, and because he has no standing, he actually cannot defend himself, and so he gets thrown into prison. And he sits there for two years. So we are 12 years in to his story now. 29 years old, and he is sitting in prison. I gotta tell you, If that was me, I would really be questioning God right now. Really, God? I mean, you gave me this dream. I thought you had plans for my life. And I'm just sitting here rotting in prison. Surely, surely you have something different. Well, time continues to pass. And one thing leads to another, and the pharaoh, who's the leader of Egypt, has a dream, and he just cannot make sense of it. And he hears, hey, there's this man in prison who actually can interpret dreams for you. So he pulls him out of prison. And Joseph hears the dream, and he says, well, here's what it means. It means that we're getting ready to have seven years of great abundance and prosperity here. And then we're going to move into seven years of severe famine. And so what we need to do is we actually need to start stockpiling some of our food and saving so that we're ready to endure the seven years of famine. And the pharaoh is so overcome with gratitude and, and believes him. And, and so you know what he does? He pulls him out of prison and he makes him second in command. Joseph has basically just become the vice president of Egypt. How is that even possible? Now, before you think, wow, well, that's an awesome end to this story. He's like superpower ruler now of Egypt. Don't forget that his life has been torn away from him. This is not the life he dreamed of, this is not the life he wanted. He is still a foreigner and he is still without his family. And so here he is, about 30 years old, leading this country. Well, now another nine years pass, and it's just as Joseph said. They've had seven years of abundance, and they are now two years into the famine. And he is distributing the food to the Egyptians so that they can all eat and survive. And guess what's happening to Joseph's family? They live in a neighboring land. And so they are experiencing the exact same famine that Egypt is experiencing. And they are starving literally starving to death. And they hear, we hear that there's food in Egypt. And so Joseph's dad sends the 10 brothers, the same 10 brothers that threw him in the cistern and sold him as a slave, that hated him and abused him. He sends them to Egypt to just see, is it possible for us to buy some food? Will they have mercy on us and let us live? Now, this is where we would need to cue the dramatic music. Because in walks the ten brothers, and guess who they have to face and ask for food? Joseph. But they don't know it's him, right? Because Joseph talks like an Egyptian now, and walks like an Egyptian. Is anyone going to get that reference for me? Thank you. (laughs) He does not seem the same person them anymore. But he knows who they are. And so he asked them, tell me, is it just you? Is there anyone else in your family? Do you have a father? Is your father alive? Do you have any other brothers? Because he wants to know if his beloved baby brother is still alive. And they tell him, yes, we do. And then scripture says that he turned away from them and began to weep. He turned away and began to weep. So this is the first truth that Joseph would teach us about forgiveness. Forgiveness is incredibly costly. It costs deeply. So the brothers leave. He gives them food, and they leave, and they go, and they they try to make it last as long as they can, but eventually they run out again. And it is time for them to go back and throw themselves at the mercy of this man in Egypt who had kindness toward them and sold them food the first time. And they go back, and this time, they bring the younger brother. And as they come in, he questions, is that your youngest brother? And they say, yes, it is. And this is what scripture says, deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. And he went into his private room and he wept there. He is confronted with all he has lost. With the life he was supposed to live, it stares him in the face. And all he can do is weep. Now he sends all of them on their way with food. And there's a couple twists and turns. And it's, it's just a short failed journey. And they wind up back in front of Joseph just a few days later. And this is what happens. It says, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. And so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. He wept so loudly. These are like deep guttural cries a piece of him is being ripped open and ripped out again and all he can do is just weep loudly because of what has happened to him because he stares these men in the face and what they have done to him and so he weeps because forgiveness costs him dearly seven times we see in this passage joseph weeps this is not easy for him This is not, oh, well now I'm second in command in Egypt and everything's fine, everybody. No, he's lost so much. And so he weeps and he weeps and he weeps. And do you know what? The brothers actually don't ask him to forgive them. We don't read that in scripture. We read that as soon as Joseph reveals who he is, they are terrified And they are stunned into silence because they know what they've done and they know what they deserve. And yet, Joseph, in the midst of their silence, starts reaching toward them, starts telling them, it's okay. It's okay. I'm going to take care of you. See, here's the thing about forgiveness. We are called to be forgiving people when people do not ask us for it. When they don't deserve it. These men did nothing to deserve his grace and his mercy because the truth about forgiveness is it's all about us. Louis Smedes, who's an author and theologian, he says it this way, the first and often the only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does the forgiveness. When we genuinely forgive, we set a prisoner free and then discover that the prisoner we set free was us. See, here's the truth about my stories, about those people that intruded into my life and offended me. Can we have a little bit of real talk about these people? They don't ever think of me. They don't ever think of the offense that they levied against me. Do you know who's the one that thinks about it? Me. I'm the one left holding the bags of hurt. I'm the one left with wounding in my soul. They have gone on their merry way. Maybe they just didn't even realize that they offended me. Maybe they're too immature to know it. Maybe they're just unhealthy. I don't know what the reason is, but I guarantee I'm the one that thinks about it and not them. And God asks us to forgive because he knows we need to release them for our heart and for our soul and for our well-being. And when we don't, it's exactly like that old quote says, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Forgiveness is incredibly costly, but the only thing that costs more than forgiving is not forgiving. Now, here's the second thing I think Joseph would want us to know is that forgiveness is not the same as restoration. See, forgiveness is one way. It depends on us to release. Restoration, though, is two ways. It's somebody coming toward us as we go toward them. Sometimes it is very unwise for us to enter back into a restored relationship with someone that has wounded us. Sometimes we must just forget, forgive, and let go. And I think that Joseph was not ever fully restored into relationship with his 10 brothers. Here's what we do know about his story. We know that he moved his entire family to Egypt so that he could care for them and make sure they had food. Now, he didn't move them next door. He moved them into a community nearby. And for 17 years, he made sure that they had what they needed. And then 17 years passed, And dad dies. And the brothers say, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? And so they are in fear. And so they send a message to Joseph. They don't even come in person. They just send a messenger. And they basically say, hey, dad, when he was on his deathbed, he asked you to forgive us. So could you do that? And then they timidly come into his presence and they throw themselves at his feet and just say, we're your slaves now. Again, they still have never asked him for forgiveness. And then Joseph speaks these beautiful grace-filled words over them. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. this is the third truth that Joseph would teach us about forgiveness. Forgiveness releases our offender to God. See, in this moment, Joseph recognizes the sovereignty of God, and he throws his offenders into the arms of God. He throws himself into the arms of God. And in that moment, he says, I will not take revenge. I will not make justice mine. That is God's job, and I will not do it. And I will trust God to use all of this for his good and his glory. Now I want you to notice he does not say what you did was good. It was evil. But God, our amazing sovereign God can use it for good. He can use the worst, the hardest things in our lives for good because that's who our God is when we let him in to heal us, to restore us, when we let him in so that we can release others, he turns it around and uses it for good. I love how the message says it. It says it this way, don't you see you planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good as you see all around you right now. That's true of my life as well. Yes, there are absolutely things I wish had never happened in my life. Parts of my story that I just wish weren't even there. But the truth is, I can't pull them out of my life because they have made me who I am. I am the woman I am today because of God's healing work in my life, because of those broken places that have been restored, because I've had to throw myself at his feet and ask him, help me. I don't know if I can be rejected again. I don't know if I can be wounded again. And he helps me get up each time. And he heals and he restores. And I would say, don't you see? You planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good. As you see all around you right now. Isn't that true for all of us? And I have to do it over and over and over again. I have to release my offender again and again and again. Because the offense will creep back into my mind and tap me on the shoulder and remind me you were wronged and offer me that beautiful looking glass of poison to drink so that I can just harbor my own bitterness and resentment toward them. One of the ways that has helped me move to a place of forgiveness for some of those who have offended me is to remember what Jesus did for us. Scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. See, we didn't ask for it. We didn't deserve it. We certainly hadn't done anything in our lives to clean ourselves up, to make ourselves worthy of being died for. He came and he did it anyway. The other thing I love about our Jesus is he knows what it is like to be hurt and rejected, and betrayed. He knows what it's like to have one of his very closest friends turn his back on him. And as he hangs on the cross, you know what he says? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In the deepest, darkest moment of his life, he is able to say, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And isn't that actually true of all the people that have offended us? They don't know what they're doing. They had no idea the wound that they were causing. They didn't know that they were doing this to a daughter of the king. It is true because of their own brokenness, because of our brokenness. Forgiveness is really costly. It is not the same thing as restoration. And forgiveness means that we release those who have offended us into the hands of God. The only thing that costs more than forgiving is the alternative. So this morning, I want to just invite us into a moment of silence to pray and ask the Lord who he might be inviting us to forgive or enter into the process of forgiving. This is a lifelong journey. But who is he inviting you to forgive this morning? So would you pray with me now? Lord, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us someone that you would invite us to forgive and to enter into the process of releasing this morning? What would it look like for you to forgive this person? Ask the Lord right now. What would releasing them into the hands of our Father mean for you? What kind of healing and restoration would happen in your life? if you're able, maybe you can in your mind's eye imagine this person or their name and say these words to them. Don't be afraid. Do I act for God? Don't you see you planned evil against me? But God, use those same plans for my good as you see all around you right now. Lord Jesus, enter into this space with us. You have forgiven us so much, and yet it is so hard to forgive. We come to you this morning as your daughters, and all of us have deep, deep wounds that we need you to heal. And so, Lord, would you help us to release some of these things to you, Lord, would you help us to remember the words, don't be afraid, because we don't act for you, and you use these plans for our good as we see all around us right now. And so we ask that you would help us to see all the things that you have done in our life that are good, how you have healed, how you've restored, how you've redeemed And, Lord, we ask that you would do this for your glory and for your good and for our healing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's going to be a few questions up on the screen. If you feel comfortable, I would love for you guys to enter into this process of sharing a little bit about who God brought to mind and what it would look like for you to enter into a process of releasing them Because remember, forgiveness is really about you. It's not about them. So we'll come up in just a few minutes and close.